We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I don't want to waste any more time. Let's go right to the Western Hotline where Matt Perino, my man, joins me from New York Upstate and uh, the Shout Podcast, which uh, just had Doug Flutie on this last week. If you missed that, you're going to want to go back. You know, if you're my age, maybe a little bit older, the Doug Flutie era was sort of like the pinnacle of your fanhood. Uh, if you want to go back and take a look, definitely go do that. You can uh, go check out his link right through his uh, Twitter. Uh, so, Matt Perino, welcome, my friend. Uh, that was a pretty cool podcast that you pulled together last week. Uh, anything cool that you learned yourself that uh, – that maybe you didn't know about the, uh, the, the, the Flutie era. Yeah, uh, I, it was a very cool show, and uh, I had to admit, back in my fan days, uh, I was a Rob Johnson you guy. You SOB. I, I, I came clean to Doug on the podcast. <sighs> I said, listen, I was, I was wrong. And looking back on it, like, you know, where I was as a fan at that time, they gave up a first-round pick in that trade. I think the people that were claiming to be Rob Johnson folks needed that trade to work because of the the fact that they gave up that pick and it had been you know some bad quarterbacks i mean todd collins was still very fresh in my mind in that moment so you know looking back doug flutie was a uh and he revolution revolutionized the game in a lot of ways and i think that i i think i asked him that he's like uh, what would it be like to play in today's game and he's like man i'm watching kyler murray slinging around running around and I think he'd have a lot of fun in the game today. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, too, because I saw there were uh, there was a video on Twitter about how, like, there was a couple of quarterbacks that I think maybe just missed their window, and Terrell Pryor is one of those guys, right, like, who probably in today's NFL would be sort of embraced where he was really kind of exiled um, when he came out and obviously moved to wide receiver and had, I, I think, a pretty successful career. But it just goes to show you how much the game has changed. Really, Matt, even in the last five or six years, like, not we're not talking about decades. Decades here. We're talking about a pretty recent revolution in, in, in how teams, uh, maybe in what teams are looking for in their signal callers. I mean, is Kyler Murray 10 years ago even on a team's radar? Right. And I also think because of how far the game's come, it's really amplified what the smart play callers can do. And I said, like, I asked him that too. I was like, look, just looking at it from you know, uh, my vantage point, having watched him play then and covering the sport now, just imagine if he had linked up with an offensive coordinator that, you know, maybe a team believed in it and threw all their resources behind it and, and they figured out a way to use him in the proper way. I mean, he, did, he had a good career either way. But, yeah, it's, it's a shame. But he, he's living life. He's having fun. He, he says he's a 46-year-old going on 22. Uh, he goes surfing. He's got a Batmobile. So he's living it up. Everything's he's only 46? Yeah. Really? I this is not this is not a shot of him. I just thought he was older. Like I thought he was in his fifth. That's my dad's age. 
That's kind of crazy to me. Double check this real quick. I think he said forty six, but no, he's fifty eight. He's fifty eight. He's fifty eight. Okay. Going on twenty two. Okay. And I guess I, I split the difference a little. Yeah, bit Yeah, yeah. I was. You threw me back. And I was like, he's only forty six. I'm like, he could maybe get out there and still play. I don't want to. I don't want to call his career <laughs> over yet. Well, here's the thing, you know, man, like. He's on the Notre Dame broadcasts, um, and obviously being a Notre Dame fan, I've gotten to watch Doug um, sort of be this de facto quarterback expert, and I, I love him um, and Liam McHugh and, and, and the cast um, uh, that they've got. Um, I'm trying to think um, why can't, Mike Tirico. Like, I think Notre Dame and NBC has, you know, one of the best college broadcasts in the country, um, and Doug's part of that broadcast. I think, he, I think he does a great job on TV, but yeah, it's, it's amazing to think about that, that time, uh, how big of a Doug Flutie fan I was, how heartbroken. Broken, um, I was during that era to kind of watch him, you know, sort of get messed around and then ultimately leave. Um, you know, I mean, I had multiple Doug Flutie jerseys growing up. He was one of my favorite players. But um, yeah, if you missed, um, uh, but maybe promo that one more time for the folks that are listening if they haven't had a chance to go and uh, and listen or watch. Yeah, uh, you can find it on our YouTube page, which is uh, just search uh, Buffalo Bills on NYU, uh, New York Upstate. Uh, we, we have all of our uh, shout podcasts that are live there. To find that, and we've got ton of mock draft, all the draft coverage you can uh, you can uh, take right now. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, that's a good transition into kind of the conversation I wanted to get in with you today. And the first one I wanted to, so I don't know if you um, followed along at all on Twitter or saw any of the results of our live mock draft that we did yesterday, uh, Matt. But we basically, Sal, myself, Sneaky Joe, and Bulldog all got to pick at thirty. We we went through the entire first round. Each of us did a little round robin. I had you know picks. What did I have? I had picked three, seven, and you know, kind of so on and so forth. And we got to 30. And I think the consensus for all of us was this board did not really play out in the Bills' favor. Um, they really didn't have the edge player that I think that they wanted to go after. Um, Joe Tyron was available there from Washington, but I, I just I didn't really like the fit there. Um, Asante Samuel was still on the board. That's who I ultimately went with. But all four of us picked different players. The one guy that I think we all agreed was still the best player available, but no one was really willing to take was linebacker Zavin Collins. And I talked a little bit with Sale last segment about it, but I kind of want your opinion on it because he's sort of been the talk of Bill's Twitter for the last 72 to you know whatever the last three or four days right um, and I firmly sit with Sale here that it doesn't make sense the fit doesn't make sense they're not going to run they're not going to fundamentally change who they are because they draft somebody at 30 they're not going to change defenses they're not going to run 3-3-5 they're not going to switch to a 3-4 none of that's happening so knowing that Zavin Collins is on the board for you at 30. He's the best player available. What's your move? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, if you listen to Brandon the other day talk about it, you know, you'd think that they'd seriously consider it. And, and maybe if through their scouting process, if they, they found traits on tape that they think that they can work with and mold into what they want to do with their defense. And another piece of this is, like, is he a will? Is he an off-ball linebacker? Is he going to be a pass rusher at the next level? All these different questions. Can he play on the interior? Like Tremaine Edmonds, fifth-year option. I mean, it didn't sound like Brandon Bean was a slam dunk home run that they're picking that thing up and that they're all in on Tremaine. I still think that they're all in on Tremaine from the fact that he's going to be on the roster this year, um, the upcoming, and and I would imagine they want to continue to develop him. But I didn't get the sense that because of the um, gymnastics that they're going to have to do with the salary cap still next year, not as bad as this year, not at all, but you're going to have a higher cost for your quarterback. You're going to have to give him the big-time contract, whether it's this offseason or next. And I think that 
I do agree with Sal. I've heard him say it in a couple different times that you can't pigeonhole yourself into, okay, we, we're good there because we have Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano and Sean all these other. It's not necessarily just about this year. You have to think long term, but to your point, does he fit? Does he, is there a long term schematic fit for him? And, you know, that's the question that they have to ask themselves. I think for me, Matt, the only scenario that I can be sold that that's the good pick and as if Brandon Bean decided, listen, he's the best player available on my board, he has got himself up to 270 pounds, I believe, and this is Brandon Bean, he says, I believe he is the next Jerry Hughes, a guy that was miscasted his early on in his career in, in uh, Indianapolis. He gets traded to Buffalo. They put him at, at 4-3 defensive end, and the rest is history. If they believe that that off-ball linebacker is just not his future in the NFL. They believe he's going to be an elite-level player as a hand-in-the-ground 4-3 defensive end, then I'm sold on the move. And that's what he's doing 100% of the time. This isn't a player... The other argument that really... I don't want to, I don't, it doesn't bother me. It's just I don't think it's really... It's not an argument based in, in I think common sense. And the argument is, well, they had they missed Lorenzo Alexander. They need a player that can do five different things. And I completely disagree. Listen, Lorenzo was a captain. He was incredibly versatile. Um but he's 36, and the reason he was moving around because he really didn't fit into one of those positions. And he, I thought, towards the end, his best value was with his hand in the ground on third down, playing interior and rushing from the interior. Like that's where his value was. It wasn't playing off-ball linebacker in the rarity that they ran four-three base. So for me, if Zavin Collins is the pick, I think it's only the pick is because Brandon Bean says this is a kid at now at 270. He's pro- he's showing teams, I think, that he wants to play rush I don't think at 270 you're screaming to teams I want to be an off-ball linebacker right um I'm totally with you there and they've from a philosophy standpoint they've they've gone all in on their base nickel package yeah I mean they call it the base package because that's what they run and I think what we saw last year when defense struggled is it wasn't necessarily I don't I mean I think they need Tremaine Evans and, and at times Matt Milano to play better don't get me wrong but I think that they also need more playmakers in some of these other roles, whether it be uh, a slot cornerback or just more numbers in the secondary room just to add to that competition. I think bringing Levi Wallace back is great. Yeah. Like he, you know, he's a guy that you could plug in. He's a, he could potentially be a, a depth piece. He could start for you if you need him to. But I think they need to upgrade at that position. And, you know, Dane Jackson might be that guy, and we'll see. But they need to be able to cover better. And to your point, Zayvon Collins, the one thing I like about what you just laid out there in terms of maybe moving him to a 4-3 defensive end is that they do have their, their DNs dropping the coverage quite a bit. Yep. I mean, you saw Addison back there, Hughes at times, even Addison, um, A.J. Epinesa. Uh, and, and so having that athleticism and that linebacker background, I think, I think will maybe appeal to them a little bit. So from that perspective, if you, you think that he could be a playmaker there, get upfield, use the speed, use the quickness, and win – yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I agree with you, too, what all this, where all this started. This board has the potential to not look great at 30. You're right. Matt Perino here uh, on the Western Holland. Yeah, that's sort of the conundrum that we sit at it, and it's why I think the conversation for Sale and I turned to, okay, well, 
Do you wait until 30? Do you wait until you get there? Listen, I mean, Sale and I have both done several exercises where we do mock drafts ourselves. We do it involving teams, other teams, beat reporters, other teams, you know, guys that are plugged in that kind of have a feeling of where some of these teams are going. Uh, of course, nobody knows exactly um, who's going to be there and, and who the team will ultimately decide and, like, what boards are. But I think I look at 30... Matt, and I guess for me is there's a steady balance between do we wait around and hope that we get a player that we believe is worthy of the pick, or do we, you know, if not, we just trade back. I don't see, in almost any other draft, I would agree that trading back is always the smart bluff. I The Bills don't need seven, eight guys out of this draft. The Bills need three really good players out of this draft to get them in a better position. Of course, you know, I'm not saying throw away sixth and seventh round picks, but I don't need them adding fifth, sixth, and seventh rounders in this draft in particular, where we don't know a lot of the capabilities of some of those guys because, frankly, there's not a lot of tape on them. So we don't have the medicals on a lot of guys. I don't want additional fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks. I just, it, it's not of interest to me. So knowing that, you know, there's going to be some intestinal fortitude here. There's a test here for Brandon Bean. Do you wait and trade back, or do you say, I know I'm not getting the guy that I want at 30. It's time for me to get to 24, to 25. Move up and go get the second-best edge in this draft, or hope that one of them fall to you. No, I know. it's. We're going to be talking about this all next week. I mean, every day. Because as all of these different rumors come out and the perceived, uh, you know, hype around these picks, whether it be going up or going down, a lot of people are changing their boards. I mean, you know, Kansas City getting a, a star-caliber a star left tackle, you know, five, six days before the draft completely changes it, all of this thing. And, you know, who might be there and what, what the Bills, what, what direction they might want to go. But I think, you know, as I, I really break this down, to your point, I keep asking myself this question. What have they done at the cornerback position? since they've been here. They got Davis White, and ever since then, they've had this innate belief in their coaching staff to develop the talent that's on the roster everywhere else. And there's not a, a, a lot of high-profile talent. They bring in veterans every year, one or two. They, they bring in undrafted free agents, and you know they, they spend a seventh-round pick on Dane Jackson. But other than that, they just have this belief that they can develop. And are they going to change that this year now? Now that the roster is a little bit better set up, do they see a guy like Greg Newsom who might be on the board in that early 20 range and you have to give up an, a day two pick maybe even to move up into that range this year? To your point, that might be a swing worth taking, especially if you, if you look at going into this year. I think what they've told us about how they've addressed the defensive line this offseason is that they think a whole off-season program with Eric Marston in place, Starla Tulele back in the mix. They want to see if this imagined group that they had in 2020 going into the year, if they can have a little bit more success. And so I don't think they're as, um, as in a hurry to address that position as maybe at this point in the build where you, you have this wide-open Super Bowl window. If now you take a swing at the quarterback position because you can really – Make this a a bulletproof secondary yeah. if you land a top-tier cornerback opposite Tredavious White just because of all the pieces that they have in play now. Dane Jackson, I know a lot of people want to see him at CB2, but what about having him push Terry Johnson at, in the slot? He can play inside or outside. 
when you add more players, I think it, it makes everything more supercharged in camp. And I think that that could breed the best potential lineup that you can put together. Yeah, and, and I... I view it like this, and that's why the Zavin Collins conversation becomes so interesting, because if he is the pick at 30, and the Bills say, in my scenario, the Bills say, yeah, uh, we get it, we don't view him as a linebacker, we view him as a 4-3 defensive end, but that's a projection, Matt. He doesn't have film that suggests he's going to be a, a first-round caliber pass rusher in the NFL. There, There is nothing really to suggest that. That is the Bills taking a flyer. And I think they're at the kind of position where... A flyer could be, I could be sold on why you take a flyer if you're the Bills at 30. But I'm way more sold on them going after a position that maybe they're set at at corner. I think you can make the argument they're set there, right? They got Dane Jackson. They brought back Levi Wallace. They've got numbers at the position. But if you go out and you draft a, a Greg Newsom, if you draft an Asante Samuel Jr., I think, or Eric Stokes, I think, you know, that, that almost speaks to me from a very different way than a projection like Zavin Collins to moving to defensive end makes for me. Right, and I also think that the way that this um, draft class on the defensive line and the lack of high-end talent, not only at the edge position, but maybe more importantly, interior. I mean, there's not there's a lot of – I mean, it's Christian Barmore, Levi Ramuzarike, you know, maybe in that top 60 range, those two guys. And then you're looking at a bunch of guys that are probably going to go late day two, you know, early day, day three. And that's a position that I still think is a sneaky need. You know, I, I know Star Latula is coming back, and, and that could work great. And he can be added back into the mix, and they can hit the ground running. But you also want to start developing the next guy. And, you know, I know a, a lot of people uh, are excited about a few guys. Uh, his name is escaping me at the moment, the LSU guy, Shelvin. Oh, Tyler Shelvin. Yeah, Tyler Shelvin. Tyler Shelvin, yeah. yeah. And uh, Aline McNeil, who I've actually watched a little bit, uh, out of Texas A&M, yep. I had him in my mock draft, and he looks like an absolute beast in the middle at, at one point. I think that they need to address that spot. And if you do that, I think then you see what you have yeah. in Addison and Hughes playing together and Epinesa in year two and all those, and Daryl Johnson, who I still think that they want to continue to develop. And, and then you take a shot maybe on day two or day three on the edge rusher, because I do think there's a couple interesting names I agree. that could maybe be available in those things. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, appreciate you, brother. Thanks for hopping on. Um, we'll be we'll be in short touch. I'm sure uh, if you're available next week at all, uh, I've got a lot of airtime uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So if you're around at all, want to hop on and uh, and react to some of the picks live, you've got an open invitation, man. Sounds good, brother. And uh, I'll see you Tuesday. We got the uh, yes, sir. We got a little Bill Stan uh, pre-draft Zoom uh, off air, offline. You can kind of come in and join, and we'll, we'll talk some stuff. We'll give away some shout T-shirts. It'll be a fun time. Yeah, looking forward to it, my man. I'll see you Tuesday, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, take care, Nick.